Welcome to Your Grit Story Podcast, where we chat with founders, leaders, and changemakers to learn about their journey to make the future a reality. I'm Eric, your friendly host. Follow us on where you are tuning in or find us on any social media channels to catch highlights and snippets of our episodes. Let's be inspired by the stories while you create your grit story. All right, we are back on our Your Great Story podcast. As part of the origin series, we uncover the day ones of starting up and also the growing pains of running a startup, right? And today I have a guest whom I have a lot of questions for, but didn't have a chance to ask him. And this is probably the perfect chance for me to feed my curiosity and hopefully yours. Uh, and our handsome guest today is the king of nails, Daryl Chu. Hi, Daryl. Welcome to the show. Hi, hi, Eric. Thanks, thanks so much for inviting me. I love that we've had this long history, right? You know, from the NOC times to when I was trying to see whether you could help me with my startup back then. This was 2015. Then now, you know, like you know, doing this, I love podcasts. I mean, I listen to a lot of them as well. And I listen to a lot of your episodes as well already. So it's really an honor to be in one. <laughs> I've never been in one before. Yeah. I mean, I'm very, very, very pleasured that, that we've asked. And in fact, it was eight years ago, right? In fact, that we, that we met in yeah. Junction 8 Bishop yes. for, for a meal and you were asking me yeah. advice when I was in Tyson that was then and now we are here today a little bit nostalgic right for sure but definitely yeah. more than happy to have you share your story with us and I'm not going to spoil the show for you right I'm going to let you kick off right to share with our listeners who you are what you do every day right on to you Daryl yeah okay so my name is Daryl the founder of Neodeck and check us out online neodeck.com or Instagram so there's a lot of uh, activity going on on Instagram. When I'm not at work, I'm father of two, at two young boys, two and seven. And honestly, that's like a whole other startup. I think <laughs> Eric, you will agree. <laughs> like raising kids is, yeah, it's, it's like you think like startups are hard, like raising kids is a whole different ball game, right? You know? So yeah, I feel like I'm running like three separate startups at once, right? Like Neodag and like two boys and try to make sure that, you know, everything works. <laughs> So yeah, just to share a bit more about the origins of Neodeck, I started it in 2011. So that's about yeah, 12 years ago in my final year of uni at NUS. I was actually on NOC Singapore when I decided to start it. I think it was my in the last month of NOC. And I kind of like decided like, okay, I want to take the plunge and do something. Back then, it was really much more of simple distribution type of business. So I imported products, in this case, nail polish. I actually had a whole range of products. So I kind of wanted to start like a blog shop. You know, you remember back then in the day, was, I mean, I don't know if they still call it blog shops today, but started a little blog shop, right? We imported nail polish, sunglasses, fashion, clothing, a whole bunch of stuff. And, you know, opened up a little online store and started selling these things. And I think after a while, it was very clear at that point of time that nail polish was our best seller. So, you know, mm-hmm. we had such limited, okay, I say we, it was just really me. <laughs> you know, it was, I had such limited bandwidth and cash, right? So, and then I decided to focus on, on nails. So, did all this while I was still studying for my final semester in NUS. And I was distributing a couple of brands that I imported from the US. Was very lucky in that in 2012, Zolora had just kind of open an office in Singapore and I didn't know who they were back then so I just cold emailed them and just 
asked them like, oh, hi, would you like to purchase nail polish from me? And they were like, sure, yeah, you know, come on down. So I pitched to them and then in the end, they, they did. And I mean, that was really in the early days. There were like maybe 20 people in the company only. It was quite funny because they were like, oh, yeah, sure, we'll take your product. You know, I think it was early stage. They had just gotten like huge amounts of funding, right? And then they were like, sure, we'll take your products. And like, do you want to join our team as well? And I was just like, <laughs> what? Like, like, I was like, I had no idea what a startup. Uh, back then in 2011, 2012, it was still like, everyone was, you would be called like a, a businessman, right? Or like, like the word entrepreneur was like, not really like very cool yet, you know? So startups, you know, I, I didn't really, I mean, of course I was in NOC, but you know, I just, I guess I wasn't very well connected to the scene and didn't know what Zalora was and what they were doing. So, I mean, I just, I just humbly said like, oh no, yeah, thanks for taking my products, but I'm just going to do my own thing, lah. Right, so fast forward that, uh, did that for a while, started supplying products to other shops, to other nail salons, and then soon after I graduated from uni, right, so 2012, May, graduated, and then that's when I realized that, hey, you know, actually, I, I wanted to do this full-time, but I had, but I wasn't really doing a lot, like, because, you know, as, as a distribution business, I'm only busy on, like, the last two days of the month when I'm chasing them for a sales report. In the first two days of the next month where I'm sending them invoices, right? So, and, and restocking. So the rest of the month, I was like, kind of like at home and I had graduated. My parents were like, what are you doing with your life? I'm like, I'm running my business, but I'm like, but well, you're not doing anything. So to a certain extent, I, I was also bored. So I decided to start Pushkart NUS, right? So Yusuf Ishak House. I think that's where a lot of people in NUS and NOC started to know Neodac because of the physical presence of a Pushkart. So I had a push cut there. So I started selling these products myself. Then over the span of the next six months, I expanded to SMU and SIM as well. So I was running three push cuts and it was quite fun and quite enjoyable. Of course, it was, you know, sort of like the early days of entrepreneurship, right? So it was like the honeymoon period. Like I was just running around, hustling and selling and selling. And But then I think what happened after that was kind of, reach a point where I didn't really know what I was doing anymore. I was just running around like a hateless chicken in that sense and started to get disillusioned. After a year of doing it, to be very honest, a lot of my friends started graduating from university as well. And, you know, everyone was getting high paying jobs and, you know, everyone's kind of like comparing what they were doing and I got friends joining like, you know, investment banking and stuff like that. And I started to compare myself with them, right? I mean, I think that was a very uh, rookie mistake I had. I made in the early years I started comparing myself and then I started feeling like oh I'm such a failure like I mean I was paying myself $800 a month right like an intern some friends were getting like 7 8k a month right this is 2012 I'm just like oh my god what am I doing with my life right so long story short I decided like okay, okay I need to take a step back and just kind of figure things out so I, I went to get a job I, I ended up in Red Dog Ventures so I was very very lucky to get this role as a management associate in, in Red Dot. So for those who are listening, but who's, who, who don't know what Red Dot is, it's a seed stage investment firm. So dealing with, uh, or rather investing in tech startups. So I stayed in that company. I got into the company, worked my way through that, ended up staying there for six years, actually. Yeah. And then, sorry, this, this is a very long story here, but so I joined the company in 2013, thought that I would never do anything with nails again. I was like, okay, I, I'm in like, a different world now, right? In the world of venture capital. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to do a career in this path. But I don't know, something at the back of my mind was just kind of always like, I just kind of always felt that there was some unfinished business. 
because I think I kind of left the nail business in a very defeated manner. I was like, oh, you know, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to stop and I'm going to get a job. So in the back of my mind, I was always kind of like, okay, you know, this is unfinished business. I want to get back into it. And after a couple of years, uh, I think around 2015, which is close to the time where I started talking to you about about stuff, mm. about hardware stuff. I think 2014, 2015, we started to see an emergence of a lot of 3D printer startups. Mm. And I also started to get, you know, sort of itchy. Right? I was just like, oh, okay, why don't I create a 3D printer for nail products, right? Nail polish. And, and that's what we did. So so I, I actually roped in one of my friends to be my co-founder. Did all this while still keeping my full-time job, you know, and, and I was very transparent with my boss about it. He, he, he was okay with it as long as I got my work done, you know. So started this new company called Suzoko and I got a co-founder in who was my technical co-founder and we started going for pitching competitions and you know, pitching to investors to try and get this idea off the ground. And then that's when I started talking to you, right? So around 2015, I think my co-founder was a chemical engineer. So we, both of us, neither of us had any experience in hardware. And I think we kind of underestimated how much expertise or money was required to a hardware startup, especially if none of the co-founders are actually <laughs> mechanical engineers or you know people with background in manufacturing. So we kind of bounced around quite a bit, pitched to a lot of investors, got a lot of pushback, got a lot of rejections. And then eventually we managed to kind of figure out that, you know, hey, you know, before getting to the hardware stage, you know, there's actually the software component to it as well, right? And so we decided, okay, let's let's build the mobile app that would interface with the device, right? And that's what we did. So pivoted again, 2016, we managed to get some funding from the government for this time. So there was a bit of a a boost of, of confidence. We built out this mobile app with a very efficient color search algorithm behind it that allowed people to shop for color cosmetics in a, in a very unique and differentiated manner. Again, tried to go out there, raise funds. Long story short, you know, we, we launched it. We had a lot of PR. We had a lot of press. We had quite a good amount of downloads, but I think we couldn't sustain it and we couldn't scale it, you know, outside of our circle of network and connections in Singapore. And then eventually by the end of 2016, kind of fizzled out as well. And then I had to... So so that uh, basically to, to a certain extent we ran out of cash, you know, we, we couldn't raise the money that we needed to raise. Co-founder and I put in some money, but we ran out of, of, of cash at the end of 2016 and then I had to let the whole team go. Yeah, so that was very a sort of pivotal moment because really after that, I was just like, oh my God, I had like failed like <laughs> three times or like at least two big times, right? Like, you know, so... Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I had my full-time job to go back to, so, you know, I'm or rather to continue. So I was still doing that, but it just really felt like back to square one again, just back to myself with ideas and a whole bunch of nail polish in my office. <laughs> so 2017 rolls around. I was alone again, you know, I mean, let everybody go and everybody was off to do different things. And then I was trying to figure out, okay, like, what do I have that I can actually use to continue this journey in nails? And along the way, you see that the app that we created allowed people to create custom nail polish colors. And in order for us to fulfill that that service, you know, we actually developed our own proprietary processes to create our own nail polish <laughs> at home, right? So we had a whole like sort of process to do it. We actually got our suppliers, we got our supply chain rolled out. We had all these things, and I was just like, okay, well, actually, I can still make nail polish. You see, so I decided, okay, you know, I'm going to start my own D2C nail brand, right? Direct to consumer nail brand. I'm going to start my own nail brand. I know how to build an online store. I know how to make nail polish. I'm going to create my own brand. 
sell it. Uh, <laughs> so that was the crazy idea, which actually kind of turned out quite well for me because mm. a couple of months into that, uh, I had an opportunity to work with Singapore Airlines to basically be sort of like the official trainer for the stewardesses in SIA. Whenever any new stewardesses were joining Singapore Airlines, they have to go through this training program for makeup, beauty, everything, right? It's like a three months boot camp to mold them into the Singapore girl that we see online, um, online on flights, right? And uh, one of the very key things is that their makeup has to be on point, you know, to a very specific color tone. And because I could create essentially very, very accurate colors, I could create the colors that SQ needed for their crew. Yeah, so it's a long story. It's, it's a lot of a lot of parts to this story as well. But mm. long story short, I managed to get my foot through the door. It was great. I did that for three years, all the way to COVID. So from 2017 all the way to 2020, I was still keeping my full-time job. Mm. So I worked, I would work 6 a.m. to 4 p.m. And then from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m., three times a week, I would do this. So from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m., I would be at the training center at Singapore Airlines at, at Tanamera. And my, at the red dot office was at One North. So I used to take taxis, like grabs, right? From One North to Tanamera. <laughs> it's like crazy. Oh my God. Yeah. So I did that two to three times a week for three years straight. Mm. And, you know, really just sort of came like this sort of in-house new supplier, new yeah. trainer and new supplier. So those three years, if, if any crew, anyone joined Singapore Airlines as a, as a crew back then, they would have met me. Uh, right. uh, yeah. In, in the training center. Yeah, so that three years uh, really, really gave me a lot of knowledge and insight because I was the trainer. So I would be interacting with the crew every day and I got to hear firsthand a lot about the problems that they face doing their nails, right? Painting nails is hard. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not easy, right? And then there's a lot of different types of formulations, different colors. There's a lot of different things to it. And then that's just the cosmetic side of things. That's the nail care. So, you know, they'll tell me things like, you know, oh, my nails are so dry because, you know, I'm flying the air so dry. When I go to, like, when I fly to London tomorrow, my nails are going to be so dry because it's winter now. Mm -hmm. it's, it's quite interesting. I got a lot, a lot of feedback. And through that as well, I actually really got to understand color theory for the Asian skin tone as well. Because one thing I learned, you know, is that you know, the, a lot of the brands I used to distribute in 2011, these were from the US or UK, right? And mm. uh, or American or European brands. And a lot of them were very catered to Caucasian skin tones. Right. And, and of course, in Southeast Asia, you know, our skin tone is very, very different. You know, we're warmer, warmer skin tone, darker. And it just doesn't look as nice when you take a color that's meant for fair, Caucasian, cool skin tone right. person and apply it on a not so fair warm tone, you know, Southeast Asian skin tone. Yeah. So as I'm creating colors, right, I got to learn this also because, you know, they would tell me like, oh, no, this doesn't look so nice on me. And then I had a lot of instant direct feedback. So, and that's a, a big part of what we do today. You know, we have, you know, or rather I have really like sort of internalized, you know, what other kinds of colors would go well for our Southeast Asian skin tones. And mm. a huge part of our marketing is also on, on that, you know, making sure that you know, mm. we are inclusive that uh, especially for our part of the world where we're operating in, you know, making sure we're creating colors that don't just look nice in the bottle on a hand model, you know, but that would look nice on you as well because we don't want like buyer's remorse, right? We don't want you to right. buy a color from us and then go home and try it out and realize, oh, it doesn't look so nice on my skin. Right. So yeah, from, from there, I also got mm -hmm. to learn a lot of, yeah, just essentially the problems that they face. 
And yep. today, I think a lot of what we do is just really coming up with new products and innovations that can solve the problems that our customers face. <laughs> yeah, long story, nice. 12 year story. Uh, but yeah, I, I tried <laughs> to summarize it as quickly as I can. Sorry, I know that took quite a bit of time. No, all good, Daryl. I think the I mean, Tom is... I mean, 12 years of history and journey uh, in, in 16 minutes. I think that is pretty much, you know, I, I don't think I can do better than that. But, yeah. you know, like like really, I think that's why this podcast is here. It's really to kind of understand your journey, right? And this was starting yes. up from, from day one till now where you were thinking about, you know, blog shops is so retro, right? This word, blog shops, like who, yeah. who today, you know, the like, yeah. is doing anything about blog shops, right? So we were the blog shop days, right? Yeah. To, you know, like selling, like so-called to this e-commerce, right? And then kneeling down on, focusing down on, on nails and then having a potential partnership or even employment with Zalora back then, you know, and then you you kind of left the whole nail industry and then you came back again with a, with a big push and partnerships with uh, SQ, right? Uh, SIA. I think this is a journey where it's just so dynamic and so many ups and downs and, and kind of going out and coming in stronger, right? In this whole, like, you know, 15 to 20 minutes, in fact, I haven't spoke to, spoken to anybody in so, such a long time that talk about nail, nails, right? So I can feel your passion on nails. I would like to kind of deep dive into that a little bit more, right? Or why, why nails, right? I mean, why, why this passion in nails? Because I remember those in 2015 or 2012 when I, when I met you, I know there's a guy doing nails, like guy doing nails. I know there's Daryl doing nails, but I just don't dare to ask you, you know, why is he interested in nails, right? But now I'm going to ask you, why is he so keen and so passionate in nails? Yeah, okay. So actually, it's it's not nails per se that I'm very interested in. It's color. Okay. So I've always liked color. I find color to be a very fascinating feature of our world. Prior to Nail Deck, before the blog shop even, I actually tried to start something else. And it was custom road bicycles. <laughs> it's mm. very random. I used to do triathlons. So I wanted to create custom decals to make my bike more colorful rather than just black and red. And I was thinking that if I want to do it for myself, why don't I do it as a business and do it for other people as well? So mm. color has always been something that I've very, been very interested in. And it just so happens that nail polish is a very colorful product, right? You know, it's not like lipstick or a foundation where, you know, I mean, even lipsticks, right? You know, there's general range of colors, like from, you know, mm. maybe coral, which is like orangey red, all the way to like a deep maroon, you know, or even brown. But, you know, it still falls into this spectrum of like orange to brown or like red to brown, right? Whereas for nails, you know, that there's a million possibilities. And I just love color. Like, I just think it's very nice to look at. <laughs> mm. And when I create some of the colors, you know, sometimes I try to recreate things that I see and like. So, for example, last year, I worked with a jewelry company and we recreated the color of their jade stones, in the form of nail polish, right? And oh. it was a very tough challenge, but, you know, to get that particular shade of semi-translucent yellowish green, you know, and it's a challenge and, and I like it and it's taken me years to be able to do it. Once I did it, it's like, once you get the formula right and it's just like, oh my God, I finally done it. So color is really the, the I would say, the central part of mm. it. And nails just happens to be a very colorful product category and I got into it years ago and I think, I mean, if you ask me like, to turn back time, like, would I still do it? I, I really don't know, right? You know, I mean, it was just really an opportunity at that point of time that came about. I took it and then I decided like, okay, this is just going to be it. Like, I'm just going to like make this my life's yeah. work. <laughs> so it was just yeah. really a decision. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing. And now I know it's because of colors and that kind of, you know, let me understand or unpack your passion in creativity. I think that you're a very creative guy, right? Looking at the colors, different colors and uh, customization even, right? Yeah. So I think like in colors in new polish, we can even talk about maybe colors in, in hair dye, right? Kind of similar 
track, right, where where everybody has a preference for a particular color that he likes, he or she yep. likes, right? I think that's where quite a few expansion opportunities for you. And, and I think you kind of spoke about just now on, on new care or even hair care, right? I think in the personal care kind of space is yep. where very yep. interesting uh, and definitely a lot of opportunities in terms of money spent over there, right? Because <laughs> I'm working in monetization, so okay, oh, wait, what's the market sizing, right? There's definitely, yeah. definitely yeah. a lot of uh, opportunities over there. So maybe a question to you is that you tell me more about your team, right? And, and kind of how you operate. I know they have a lean team, right? So share, share a bit more about as a sole founder, as a lean team, what are some of the challenges and, and how you overcome them? Yeah, so, so being a solo founder, yeah, it, it does definitely has its challenges. You know, I would say one of the biggest challenge being a solo founder is that you know there's no one to really bounce ideas off. Mm. Not that I don't talk to my teammates, you know, but sometimes you just need founder level chat, right? And I do that a lot. I mean, fortunately for me, my wife is also in she has her own small business as well so there's a lot that i can talk to her about and very honestly uh, even though she's not part of my team i kind of run by every big decision i have with her first you know just to kind of get that approval <laughs> she's like my board of my chairman you know my board of directors like i'll, I'll go through my big ideas with her first to just see if that flies with me. but yeah so so that, that aside team wise you know we one of the things i i and learned over the last few years because we went through a stage of, of pretty, I would say, a sizable growth in 2020 due to COVID. You know, I think most online brands enjoyed or rather had that, that sort of sudden growth, right? Especially if your products were in the home self-care category, which we are in. So we enjoyed a, a bit of growth from there, continuing to 2021 as well. So I hired quite a bit of people. I think at a point of time, we were I went from a one-man show to like six people in the team. But right now, we're back down to just two people in the team. It's a small team, but I outsource a lot of... It's small because I'm outsourcing a lot of the work to professional freelancers. Because, you know, just over time, I realized that as a kind of small, non-funded, non-VC-funded startup, cash flow is really, really important. <laughs> and, mm. you know, when I hire employees, you know, I, of course, I, I hope for them to stay for a period of time and of course they themselves also hope to stay for a period of time so sometimes i find it really really hard to be able to cut people off you know if i have to and i mean that was the biggest challenge i would say that was a big challenge for me in the last last two years just sort of being able to grow the team in a, in a sustainable manner. Mm. yeah so right now i've learned my lesson the hard way so we work a lot with freelancers a lot with part-timers a lot of agencies and we keep our core team quite limited to really the things that we cannot outsource. In this case, creation, the creative work. So creating of collections, creating of colors, social media marketing, because that's run by me and it's done in a very personal manner, which makes it very hard for us to outsource to a third party. But other things like we've, we've tried outsourcing our operations, some of our logistics as well. And yeah, mostly it's operations and logistics. Yeah, so that's, that's the biggest challenge for us. Got it, got it. Yeah, thanks, thanks for sharing. You know, I'm always curious how, you know, so founder kind of, you know, run the company and really, mm. you know, insightful on, mentioned just now on outsourcing, right? Mm. On freelancers as they, they could help time to time with the operations company. And, and, you are, and you kind of pointed out that there were some very personal experiences that you kind of deliver to the market where on Instagram especially, share yeah. a bit more about Instagram because I was on IG and was looking at new deck. Uh, it's really, really beautiful and really, really colorful, right? So tell me yeah. more about that, right? How, how do you run it and how, how do you yeah. get these nice graphics and designs laid out? Yeah, yeah. so if you follow our, our Instagram, right, it's, it's a very weird account because it, it's, it's Neodeck, but everybody on it knows it's run by me and me as the founder. And 
I post a lot of my personal life on it as well. It, it was really because of COVID. So during Circuit Breaker, so actually prior to Circuit Breaker, I had never run my the Instagram account myself. I always felt that I would need like a female voice, for example. So I always hired, mm. I, I always had interns or part-timers or full-timers to, to run the account for me, you know, so they would post content and then they would, yeah, they, they would do everything. But then COVID came about and I had just let go of one of the previous part-timers who was doing the social media stuff for me. And then COVID happened, right? And Circuit Breaker happened. So I was kind of just like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to take over and do it myself. Mm-hmm. And so I started posting things that I would normally post on my personal Instagram account on the Nail Deck business account as an experiment just to really see what would happen. And also because like conventionally, I was reading up, right? Like how do I manage a social media account? And one of the things I read about was having consistent content, sort of like daily consistent content, especially for like stories and stuff like that. So I was just like, oh my gosh, I, I don't know what to post, right? And I'm stuck at home every day, right? So I started posting random things about my life at home. You know, I started, I can actually remember the what was the post that kind of changed everything and you know created this whole like sort of engaged community was when i started to review the instant noodles that i was buying to eat during circuit breaker (laughs) it was so random so you were not allowed to kind of like leave the house during circuit breaker right but you can go to ntuc so and i love eating instant noodles and (laughs) so, so i started buying a whole bunch of all the different types of instant noodles and i started reviewing them on my stories like so completely not nail related at all right you know i would try out this like new korean spicy noodles and i'll try this new flavor of indomie and i would get people to give me suggestions and so it was really like i don't even know what to call it but you know it was so random and then and then I saw my analytics, right? Like my view counts were like doubling, tripling, you know, and people were DMing me and starting to talk to me. And then I was just like, oh my gosh, like, like somehow getting a lot of reaction from the market. And then, so yeah, then I started doing more of that. I started posting about my runs. Like I would go for long runs and I would take pictures of really beautiful houses in GCB estates. <laughs> and so many people resonated with that. So it was very funny because... Even till today, I do post about my kids, you know, I post about their journey in primary school uh, and, and stuff like that. And more often than not, all my non-nail content does a lot better than my nail content. <laughs> but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's really about that, that sort of top of mind share, right? And a lot of people, and, and at first I was very self-conscious about it, but over time, you know, people would actually tell me, they would actually DM me stuff like, oh my gosh, I, I really love the way you run this account. Like, it's so refreshing. Like, you're not just, like, trying to sell me nail stuff all the time. Like, I actually enjoy, I actually look forward, like, when, you know, nail deck pops up in your Instagram, right? Like, they actually, like, you know, click on the story to go view it. And and they tell me these things without me asking. So, I'm just like, okay, something's working and let's not rock the boat. Let's just continue doing that. And it's been three years. So, it's really, like, it's quite funny because today, like, I have customers who I've never met in life, in, in real life before, but they recognize my kids on the street. <laughs> and then they were, wow. <laughs> and because, like, they see them on the street, so they were like, and then they'll DM me like, oh, I just saw your son, like, at the bio, like, with your wife. I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, so, so it's, it's very interesting. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's been really nice because mm-hmm. I've built such a nice relationship with so many of our customers who have been following me, you know, through the years. You know, a lot of them have been following. I mean, there's a small group that have been following me for, like, the last 12 years, right? But, uh, a huge proportion of them have come in because of COVID circuit breaker period. 
So from the last three years, and of course, before that, a lot of my Singapore Airlines uh, stewardess customers or so, you know, so the last three to six years, there's a lot of these people. And we, we it's almost like we are all friends, you know, and, and I treat them as such as well. You know, I'm sort of like their new BFF, so I will like help them with any 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 problems that they have or any suggestions that they have, I, I take into account as well. Yeah, so nice. yeah, and then of course, you know, the colorful feed that you see, mm. you know, a lot of that is, you know, the team, you know, being able to take you know very beautiful pictures so that some of those are outsourced you know i outsource mm. to to other people who help me you know, i send in my products you know they help me to take very nice pictures and videos some of them are done by me the, the more amateur looking ones are usually done by me <laughs> the more professional looking ones yeah you know so yeah it's, it's all around a very fun thing to do you know because also because it, they're very supportive right so you know they'll be you know when i post something that people will reply they'll be like oh my god i, I love this or i need this you know it's yeah so it's, it's a nice it's a nice uh, feeling Nice. Yeah. I mean, I really, really love what you mentioned about the personal touch that you have here, right? And with this vibrant creativity in this IG page, right? So listeners, if you're listening to this, you know, if you're into nails, do check out Nail Deck, right? Just Nail Deck, right? Yes. On, on, on IG and, and you, you know what I mean. This scrolling down is just, wow, give you a lot of uh, vibrancy <laughs> in life. So yeah, let's let's kind of wrap up, right? In, in the last few questions, yeah. right? As, as we kind of end this episode. So so what's next, right? What next? What's next for New Deck in the next months or twenty twenty three at least? Yeah, so we have quite a lot of exciting plans coming up. So I mean, one of which is we're looking at retail. So you know, we've predominantly been an online D two C brand, but you know, because of our ability to create custom colors, we've actually done some pop up events. Actually, I say some. We did one pop up event last year. All right, and we're doing it again. Uh, it's called Boutique Fest, so you can check it out. It's an F1 pit building. We did it in November last year, and there's another one coming up in March next year, uh, ne- next month. So 16 March, I think. Yeah, it's called Boutique Fest. At this event, you know, we actually set up uh, what we call Lacquerland. You know, we call it Lacquerland, and there's a glitter buffet. So we actually allow you to come down and create your own custom color on the spot as well. Mm. We put out all the bases, the colored bases there. We have whole bunch like 50 different glitters and people can come and just make their own colors and then we help you bottle it and everything you can take it home on, the, on that day itself it was a lot more successful than i thought it would be when we did it in november last year huge crowd you know lots and lots of interested people a lot of paying customers as well you know and we thought that hey you know that's actually something that maybe we could expand out into a retail experience also because you know we have 700 colors now and Honestly, it's quite hard to be able to browse and shop through 700 colors online. So at this event, we actually built out our, we custom made this sort of wall shelving thing that could hold about 600 bottles. And, you know, people were coming by and they were like, oh my gosh, like, this is so nice. Like, I can see all the colors at once. And of course, you know, for, for me, from a sales perspective, like, increases the basket size as well right you know a lot of customers you know online you see like one or two colors at a time right so you know you add to cart you add to cart but then when you see 600 in front of you right it's like oh my gosh i need this i need that i need this i need that right so of course from a business point of view it allows us to market our products you know our very wide range of colors better Mm. and yeah i've always wanted to go back to my roots because you know I, i had the push cart right you know back in 2012 and i really enjoyed that part of interacting with customers and which is something i enjoy now as well but it's all online through instagram so back then i used to do it in person through the push cards now online and i think 
that's something that we could look forward to as well in the future. So I'm actually, I just spoke with a agent yesterday to try and source for some good lobangs, you know, good deals yep. for retail spaces. So of course, you know, it's a huge cost endeavor, you know, to do retail. So we're managing that carefully. Yeah. And other than that, trying to expand outside of Singapore. So mm. products didn't go too much into our products, but you know, it's we, we have a range of, of very innovative products that have been really life-changing for a lot of our customers in Singapore. So I think we are ready to try and see how we can bring this to the rest of the world as well. So that's a big part of my day-to-day work now, just kind of really trying to expand our reach to different channels and also mm. to other territories, other countries. Mm, for sure. Yeah, thanks, thanks for sharing. I really love how you're doing experience to real life, right? Kind of clicking, tapping on add to cut. And it's great, yeah. right? One by one, but really seeing everything in front of you and really kind of wanting to try everything, but it, obviously you can't buy everything, but you can try more. Mm-hmm. I think that fact really helps the user to experience a lot more. And they can bring back home and try, you know, and see what they like and maybe small sampling even, right? Yeah. I think there's a yeah. lot of opportunities there. Yeah. That's a great plan over there. Just to wrap up here, last two questions. There are listeners kind of tuning in that may be founders, hustlers, but might be sole founders. Mm-hmm. What is one piece of advice you would like to give to these listeners? Ooh, okay. I think from my personal experience, the advice that, or rather the main thing I got out of my experience and I, that I hope to share with the listeners is that there's no shame in sort of taking up a side job or side hustle to pay the bills. So like for myself, right, you know, I reached a point where I didn't really know what I was doing. And then there were other parts of my life, right? Like post-university life means adulting, you know, getting married, HDB and stuff like that, right? And of course on $800 a month, you know, <laughs> I was, I, that was not going to be possible. So, you know, I think there's no shame in sort of really realizing that there are alternatives, you know, and that you don't actually have to give up your dream, so to speak, right? Because I think very often, and I think very much in the early years, I used to think in a very either or kind of scenario, like there's only option A or option B. Either I go full-time into my business or I quit my business and do a job, right? I think what I've learned is that there's always like an option C, or in this case, in the previous example, it's not either or all, it's and or all, right? So there's an and, an A and D, right? You, could, you can actually do two things. You don't have to, it doesn't always have to be black and white, you know, or like binary, right? One and zero. Mm. Like there's always sort of little middle ground. So I think for me, I'm glad I, like myself, that was what I learned, you know, and, and I've been kind of just trying to remind myself about that. Because I think all too often, I find myself slipping back into that sort of like, go big or go home kind of mentality mm. which is not wrong you know it's just I think it really depends on the individual so like I think you know if you believe in like doing something and you want to keep doing it despite perhaps other things holding you back you know, whether it's financial family approval or something it's okay to take a step back you know I think and just sort of like recalibrate and then come back again when the time is right <laughs> mm. yeah that's pretty much I think the main advice I can give I mean other than the you know there's a lot of the standard advice, right, which I have received myself as well. Don't give up, yep. you know, you yep. throw, I think someone told me like you throw pasta on the wall enough times, like one day it will stick, you know. So these are things that I remember as well that a lot of people have shared with me, right? Like throw pasta on the wall enough times, one day it will stick. Um, or like just keep moving forward. Right. Don't look back, you know, because right. even if you make a mistake, yeah. So I think pretty much this is all very standard advice uh, yep. you can get. But for me, it was really just really like not being ashamed of like, take a step back because every now and then mm. so I do think to myself like okay you know if you know my kids are, are growing up like there's, there's there's always an opportunity cost right for doing business yep. and in 
my case, I feel that time spent with my kids as they're growing up is the biggest opportunity cost, you know. So like in that sense, if I want to, you know, really like sort of chill, right, and like scale this business a lot faster, a lot bigger, what am I giving up as well? So in this case, for me, it, back then it was financial. Now it's about time, you know, time I feel is a very valuable resource. So I want to make sure that I scale the business in the right way so that I can keep the time that I want to keep with my family. Yep. Thanks for sharing. I mean, thanks for being so personal as well. And really, you are growing three startups, right? <laughs> you know, two boys, right? Yeah. I definitely know the struggle of being a parent. Yeah. You know, bringing up boys is definitely, you know, we are still early. Yeah. You know, both our elder ones are the same age, right? So definitely yes. still early. But thanks for sharing. Just to your point, on your point of, you know, it's no shame having side hustles to pay the bills, right? To keep the lights on yeah. uh, while we have your venture, side venture, and also um, your passion, right? Um, yeah, so I think that's a wrap, Daryl. Thank yeah. you for your time. It's been great having you on the show and uh, really keep on pressing on your passion in design, in creativity, and news. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Daryl. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Your Quit Story Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. Chase your dreams, live out your passion, and discover your great story.